Amen. If you would turn in your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 9. You know, if we're going to do anything in church, one thing we're going to do is we're going to pray, and we're gonna, another thing we're going to do is get into God's Word. And we're going to go to the Scriptures. We're going to find out what God has to say about it. You don't need me, and you don't need my opinions. We need the Lord, and we need His Word and His eternal Word. And I want you to start in Hebrews chapter 9, verse 28. It's funny because we just, uh, we're doing our study on Wednesday nights through the book of Hebrew, Hebrews, verse by verse. And we finished chapter 9 this past Wednesday, and we finished with this verse. But God had already, prior to that, been giving me uh, uh, this message or this sermon on this word. But let's look at it. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 28. So Christ was once offered to bear the sins of many. And unto them that look for him shall he appear the second time without sin unto salvation. That's a wonderful scripture. There's a couple of things. You, we could probably dissect that verse in a hundred different ways and teach on it for uh, many hours. But there's two things I want to touch on this morning that are very clear from this scripture. Number one, the Lord is going to appear again. He's going to appear again. There's something future. That's something that we look forward to. God is coming. The Lord Jesus Christ is going to appear, the Bible says the second time, unto salvation. And number two from this scripture that's very clear, God's people are to be looking for him. He's coming again to appear and God's people are to be looking for, for him. Now the word appear, just I want to give a couple of quick definitions because it's more than what we would think. Appear is more than just a simple uh, definition of say looking or observation like we look around the room and see what color the walls are or how many people are here today. It's, it's a looking that's more than a simple observation and its appearance is more than a simple observation. It has to do with the gaze, uh, the gaze of the eye with the eyes wide open. If you're gazed at something with your eyes wide open, this is the actual picture that's given and we look up the definition of appearance. To gaze with eyes wide open at something remarkable. Something remarkable. This is a, a natural language trying to describe the appearance of the Lord. He's going to appear again the second time unto salvation or the completion of our salvation when we see the Lord face to face. To think about it, to gaze with eyes wide open as something remarkable. It was just, I don't remember how long ago, a month ago or so, they had the big eclipse, right? Everybody was talking about it. Uh, schools were like watching it live on, on TV and some people were going outside with the special glasses and looking at it. Uh, people are traveling to different parts of the country so they could see it in a better, you know, in its fullness or whatever. And that's just uh, the sun, the moon. I mean, it was it's an amazing thing, but still... To think about it, they're gazing with eyes wide open at something remarkable. It's more than just a common observation of something, right? So this is the word it talks about when it says, unto them that look for him is he coming the second time. And the word look there in Hebrews 9, it means anxiously looking with the outstretched body. That's actually what, it, when you look it up in the concordance, anxiously looking with an outstretched body. Uh, for the Lord. I want to read this scripture. Don't, you don't have to turn there, but in the Gospel of Luke, Jesus says, Let your loins be girded and your lights burning, and ye yourselves like unto men that wait for their Lord. 
when he will return from the wedding, that when he cometh and knocketh, they may open unto him immediately. This is a description of how we're to be. The Lord left. He promised to come again. He told those that know him and that follow him. He said, let your loins be girded, your lights be burning. This is from Luke 12. And ye yourselves like unto men that wait for their Lord. We're waiting for the Lord. We're not waiting for the next depressing news to come across when we turn on the news later today. Or in the newspaper. Or a new report. Those things are coming. That's the world we live in. But we're not waiting for that. We're with going our eyes to be wide open, gazing at something remarkable, looking eagerly, anticipating the appearance of the Lord with an outstretched body. Okay, let your lights be burning. That's the light of Jesus that's inside of us. We're ready. We're prepared. And so this is what we're going to talk about for just a minute, looking at something remarkable and everybody was excited about that eclipse, but the Lord's coming He's coming back again someday, y'all. And the second coming is basically broken down in several parts. We're going to look at this more in a moment. Um, but the fact of the matter is that, that Jesus is going to appear again, and we're to be looking for Him. And looking for Him in the way that the Bible says to be looking for Him. Okay? Not to be caught off guard. Not to be caught by surprise. And I say amen to that. The world that's around us, when I say the world around us, I mean the world that doesn't know Jesus, okay? This world, the Bible says the whole world lies in the embrace of the wicked one. That's the devil. It doesn't mean everybody's demon-possessed. It means people are without Christ, and they're just carnal, and they're lost, and they're spiritually in darkness, and they're just in this lost world, functioning in this lost world. And there is a God with a little g of this lost world, the God of this world who is Satan. And... The world, this world, that's the world that I'm describing that doesn't know the Lord and is in darkness. They can come to know the Lord. They don't have to stay in darkness. But currently, when we speak of the world, the world is not looking for Christ's appearance, is it? This world is not looking for Christ's appearance. This world is not looking for anything remarkable from the Son of God. They're not expecting any big thing from Jesus. The, that's God that created him and, and Jesus, his son, who died for us. They're not looking for anything remarkable. They're not anticipating anything in the future from the Lord, from the God of the Bible that we read about. The world is not. The world has put this behind them. The Bible is put behind us. According to them, evolution has disproved it. And this is and you know, this is an antiquity. And it has nothing to do with us. And they've cast the Lord behind their backs. And He's way back in the rearview mirror somewhere. And they're going on with life. This world is not anticipating something remarkable from the Son of God. But it's going to happen. Amen? It's going to happen. It's going to be remarkable. A lot of things that the Lord's going to do. They're not anticipating anything from God Almighty to impact their lives. Or to impact this earth that we're living on. He's not in the future plans for the world. In their own human carnal reasoning. You understand what I'm saying? We're here. It looked like a little small group of people gathered together <clears throat> worshiping Almighty God with all of our hearts. But this world is not doing that. This world's sleeping. This world's watching NFL football. This world's cutting the grass. This world's going fishing. Spending some family time. Doing whatever they do. Those things are not wicked and sinful. This is better. Amen? It's better. We know the Lord. We worship the Lord. We have a purpose in our lives. This world is not impacting and not expecting any impact. They're not looking that the God of the Bible is going to impact their lives in any way. 
They're just not. It's unbelief. The Bible says all men have not faith. Well, it's evident all men don't have faith. They're not hoping or expecting any personal intervention from the God of the Bible in their lives. Okay, no visitation from the Lord. What is the world consumed with? The world around us is consumed with the world. The world, that's why we say worldly or carnal. The Bible calls it that. does not mean that everything in the world is wicked in and of itself. Going on a picnic's not wicked, okay? Going to play baseball is not wicked, whatever. Going fishing, these things are not wicked. But the world is consumed with the world. There's nothing beyond the world for them. It's me and my place in the world and this world around me. The world is consumed with global warming and climate change because they don't expect God to intervene and do anything uh, spectacular or amazing on this earth. The God that created it all, okay? They don't expect Him to step back into His creation and intervene and change the way that things are in their own lives and in this world and the way it's functioning. They don't expect it. They're not anticipating that. They're not looking for it. The world is consumed with the world. They're consumed with themselves. Self-love, self-esteem, self-respect, self-fulfillment. Anything that has anything to do with themselves and how they fit in, how they can make this planet more long-lasting, more enjoyable, how they can find their place in it. This is what the world is consumed with. But if we pick up the Bible and begin to read, we say in the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. And then He created man on the sixth day in His image for His own holy purposes. We would see that if we pick up the Bible and see this God is absolutely has to do something with my life. And even people that don't believe in Him, He has something to do with their life. He loves them. He created them. He sent His Son Jesus to die for them. He sent His Son to seek and save the lost. And so, um, but this world has no, right now, the lost world has no expectancy, no joyful hope, no expectancy of an intervention of Almighty God in their lives or on this planet. But God has promised it, okay? This world has no hope, no joyful expectancy about the coming of Christ and everything that He's promised in His Word. And all His future plans that are going to follow that. They're lost. They're blinded uh, to the truth. And the Bible says that that we were too before we got saved. So it's easy to sit here and say that bad old world and how can they do this? We were lost one day too until the Lord opened our eyes. You don't have to turn there, but I just want to read this. Just listen to it. From If you're taking notes, Ephesians chapter 2. That at that time you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth. At that time when you didn't know the Lord, this was the description of all of us. Aliens from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope, and without God in this world. But now... Praise the Lord, there's a but now. It's different. In Christ Jesus, you who sometimes were afar off are made near or nigh by the blood of Christ. Jesus has brought that reconciliation, washed us from our sins. And so sin that separates a man from God, our personal sin against this holy God, He is the answer for that. He has the remedy and the solution. It's faith in Jesus. It's cleansing by His blood. The forgiveness of sins that comes through Christ Jesus when a man gives his whole life to the Lord by faith. But we were lost in, in, in that way and in that state. Look at another Scripture. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Turn with me if you would. 2 Corinthians chapter 4.
Let's read in verse uh, 3 through 6. 2 Corinthians 4, 3 through 6. But if our gospel be hid, it's hid to them that are lost, in whom the God, that's the Satan of the God of this world, hath blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. For we preach not ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord, and ourselves your servants for Jesus' sake. For God, who commanded the light to shine out of darkness, that's in creation, okay, has shined in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. We were lost too. And the people that are lost now are in that state. But God can command the light. You know, and the light of the world is Jesus. And when a man calls out to the Lord, they can be saved. If our gospel's hid, it's hid to them that are lost. The God of this world is striving so hard to keep people lost. Mm -hmm. Satan doesn't have to make men lost. Men are lost without Jesus. There's none righteous, no, not one. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. He has only to keep people from coming to Christ. Mm -hmm. To keep people on that path. Like I said, he's not after trying to make everybody a Satanist. There are Satanists, but that's not his primary objective. His objective is to keep people from coming to Christ. Because if they come to Christ, the light of this glorious gospel in the face of Jesus is going to shine in our hearts and men are going to believe and they're going to realize they're in darkness and they're going to give their life to the Lord and God's going to translate them, says in Colossians, from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of His dear Son. He's going to pick us up and make us part of a different kingdom. Okay? And that's being born again. But these people that are lost, they're not anticipating anything from the Lord. The future has nothing to do in their minds with God. And God has nothing to do with the future. Like I said, they've cast them behind their backs. They're going on 100 miles an hour. And in the Bible says, for this they willingly are ignorant. They willingly are ignorant. We're going to talk about this more. And I've said it a 100 times. It's one thing to be ignorant of something. Uh, Chris Hudson works on computers and software and stuff like that. I'm ignorant of it. And Chris Wilcox does the same. I, I couldn't, I wouldn't understand what they're doing. I'm ignorant of it. But you know what? That's life. There's a lot of things I'm ignorant about. But it's another thing to be willingly ignorant to say, I don't know, I don't want to know, I don't believe that when the facts are put right in your face. And that's what it's talking about. It's a stubbornness. It's a stubbornness to believe. It's a stubbornness to yield to Jesus Christ and what He has shown us in our face. Even the creation in the Bible says is declaring is eternal Godhead and power. I mean, even creation is enough to at least get people to turn and begin to seek after God. And yet they're not. They're willingly ignorant. And so, they're, they're people that are willingly scoffers, aren't they? They're willingly that way. They're willingly mockers. They're willingly Christ rejectors. They're willingly uh, disregard God and His eternal wor- Word. They willingly persist in their rebellion against God and they continue on in their own way. There's a way that seems right unto man, but the ends thereof are the ways of death. That's not going to get them what they were hoping for. And ignoring God, pretending like He's not real, pretending like that's past, that's antiquated, that's old-timey, that's fables, that's fairy tales, uh, is not going to change the future. It's going to come to pass. And it will be a stark reality. I want you to turn to your Bibles. This is going to be that Scripture in Hebrews 9, and this in 2 Peter 3, turn there, is our primary text for today. 2 Peter chapter 3. I quoted part of this, but I want to read 
Let's pick up in verse 3, and we're going to read 3 through 10. 2 Peter 3, 3 through 10. Knowing this first, that there shall come when? It says in the last days. Are we living in the last days? Yes. You don't have to be a prophet to know that. The Word of God, basically, every time since the resurrection of Jesus Christ to the, till the second coming of the Lord is, would be end times. The last days. Okay? That's a big dispensation or big block of time. And we're in it. We're after the resurrection and before the second coming. That's us. That's the last days. That in there shall come in the last days scoffers walking after their own lust. Here's what the scoffers will say. Where is the promise of His coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of the creation. That's not true. All things have not continued as they were since the beginning of creation. And He's going to tell us how and why. For this they willingly are ignorant of that by the Word of God, the heavens... The heavens were of old. Sorry, y'all. And the earth standing out of the water and in the water, whereby the world that then was being overflowed with water perished. Can you say that all things continued the same? Was there not something called the flood in Noah's day? Was that not pretty uh, significant? This planet, besides the coming of Jesus, I mean, the, those worlds never had an event that touched the whole world like that. Every living, breathing thing on the earth died except what was on the ark. And, this, and they're saying that all things continue from the beginning of creation. God's not intervened. God's not judged. God's not going to do anything. You keep talking about God and His coming and His judgment. We're all going to stand before Him and we're going to face the Lord as judge one day. And that's never happened. That's not going to happen. That's what the scoffer says. He said the whole world perished. In verse 6. The Bible tells us that. But the heavens and the earth which are now, that's the present earth that we live on now, by the same Word that created all things, are kept in store, reserved unto the fire against the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. What's it mean? It means that this world that's now that we're on, God's kept it in store for a specific day. For a specific moment that He has a plan for it. Okay? And He's going to bring a judgment morally, like a judgment on... Christ rejectors and, and sinners and so forth that reject the Lord. And, but also the earth itself is going to be changed. But beloved, be not ignorant of this one thing. This just talks about the patience of the Lord. That one day is with the Lord is a thousand years and a thousand years is a day. The Lord is not slack concerning His promises. Some men count slackness. But is long-suffering to us. We're not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. That shows God's heart in the midst of it. That shows God's desire and will. Though He still has a plan of judgment to bring judgment on this earth and this creation and, and the, the godlessness of men and so forth, He still wants men to be saved. And He's still working for men to be saved. And we're still telling others about Jesus so they can be saved. But the day of the Lord will come. This is what I want us to read. The day of the Lord will come. We could put a period right there. I mean, God's Word doesn't, but understand it. It doesn't matter what the scoffer says. It doesn't matter what CNN News says. It doesn't matter what Bill Nye the Science Guy says. It doesn't matter. It says the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, 
in the which the heavens shall pass away. They're going to pass from one state to another. When you, when you break down these words, okay? Pass away with a great noise. And the elements, that's like the very building blocks of creation. Molecules, atoms. When you look it up in the Greek, that's where we get our words like atoms from. Alright? The elements shall melt with fervent heat. The earth also and the works that are therein shall be burned up. And so I want to stop right there for just a moment. God is not dead. There's a movie that says that, that title. God is not dead, and He's not nearly through with all He has. This is future, okay? This is still out there. This is still ahead. And so God's not done with anything He's planned. And this sermon today, this morning, y'all, is uh, I, I really feel impressed by the Lord to, to, to preach it and to give it, but it's not a detailed study on end times events. We can do that sometime, and we should do that sometimes, but this sermon is not just on the order of everything and all the end times events, but rather what God has called us as His children, the people of God in this hour, in these last days, what He's called us to be, where He wants our focus to be, in light of the coming of the Lord, okay? In light of the fact that these things are going to happen, how does He want us to live? And what does He want to consume our time? And what should be our hope? And how should we act? And what should we think about? And what should our mindset be upon? And what should consume our time? And how should we live as followers of Christ in this hour? Specifically in the light or in view of the appearing of the Son of God. Because the day of the Lord will come, the Bible says. And there's a lot that's going to follow that. Now I want to talk about this just for, just for a moment. The appearing of the Lord is speaking of the rapture. Okay? When the Bible talks about the appearing of Jesus Christ, it's talking about the rapture. And that is imminent. And do you know, you know what the word imminent means? It means in this context, it means it could happen at any moment. You know that. I'm preaching to the choir, okay? But I'm going to preach it anyway. The, the rapture of or the appearing of Jesus Christ is imminent. It could happen before I finish my next word. Okay? It could happen before we go eat lunch today. It could happen before we wake up tomorrow morning. And we are to live as though it could happen. That's not wrong to live that way. I've said it many times. We may, uh, you know, if we're living for the rapture at any time and it doesn't happen today, doesn't mean we were wrong. Oh, I thought it was going to happen today. Because the Bible tells me to live as though it could happen today. To live that way is imminent. There are a lot of other things in the Bible. If you keep reading, say, from 2 Peter through the end of the Bible, and other parts of the Bible as well that talk about end times events, there's a lot of things that have to happen before the next event can happen, before the next event can happen, and so forth. Uh, before people take the mark of the beast, for example, the rapture's got to happen. Okay? Before uh, Satan sets himself up, you know, as uh, or brings all the nations against Israel to do, to wipe it off the map in Jerusalem, there's got to be things that happen before that. There are things that have to happen before that next event happens. But nothing has to happen before the rapture happens. Nothing has to happen before this appearing of the Lord happens. So I want to just lay out real quickly. So it's not a study on the end times events. But I just want to list the major things that are happening and then get back to what we're, what we're really talking about. 
the rapture itself, when that happens, and it's imminent, okay, is going to be the first. It's like dominoes falling, okay? You, they're sitting there. They're all, nothing's touched them and they're not moving. But when that first domino falls, it's going to set in motion all the other dominoes falling. It's going to set in motion the other end times events that are going to happen. I think we're a lot closer. I'm not one of these that prophesies the return of the Lord when it's going to be. I'm simply saying <coughs> I believe we're a lot closer than probably most even of the church world ex expects that we are. And once, once it starts, it's going to go. You know what I mean? It's going to go fast. And so the next thing on God's timetable, if we had a, a timeline spread out here, a chart, okay? And we say the resurrection of Jesus and then the day of Pentecost. And you know, we're living in this blanket, this place, space of time here, the church age. The next thing on God's timetable, y'all, is the rapture of the church. That's it. And once that happens, y'all, instantly, what's going to follow? All Christians are certainly vacated the planet. All right? So who's left? Lost people. Again, it doesn't mean they're all demon-possessed, but they're lost. And without, we're the salt of the earth and the light of the world. And the, the, the Lord's in us. And we're gone. Okay? So what you're left with is going to be dark. Morally. You understand what I mean? Spiritually. Darkness. And the rapture's going to set off uh, then there'll be a tribulation period. Seven year tribulation period. We, the Bible tells us in Daniel and, and Jesus talks about it in Matthew 24 and the, and the book of Revelation talks about it. There's uh, a seven year period where God tries the earth and judges the earth and he, his purpose in that whole tribulation he has a purpose in it. Not to be mean or cruel. He's going to judge this world and the world's systems and communism and atheism and all these. He's going to judge it all during that time. But he's also working to bring Israel to repentance. They rejected Christ at his first coming. They said, we don't want this man to rule over us. Give us Barabbas. What do you want me to do with Jesus, your king? Crucify him. We have no king but Caesar. There's a thorough rejection. His blood be upon us and our children. And it has been. Okay? And they rejected Christ, but the Lord still loves them. And he's going to also use that seven-year period to, to try to bring them to repentance. Okay, So the rapture, the blessed hope of the church, the Bible says, the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. The rapture. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 15, Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. How quickly? In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump, for the trumpet shall sound, and the dead in Christ shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. Believers, every believer. I just got saved this morning, whether you're a believer. You're going to the rapture. Well, I got saved, but I've kind of been uh, away from the Lord and not walking as closely to the Lord as I should be. If you're truly born again and you know you are, and the Lord knows you are, you're going in the rapture. Repent and get your life right with God, okay? But you're going. And so that, that's going to take place. And then the tribulation. And then we'll come, and I'm skipping a lot, at the end of the seven-year tribulation will be the second coming of Christ. The second coming of Christ. At the rapture, He comes in the clouds. And we're going to hear the <coughs> believers, the dead in Christ are going to rise first. They, we are alive, that are alive and remain in Christ. Christians will be caught up to meet the Lord in the clouds. It's because We're meeting Him in the clouds because He's not coming to the earth. 
at the rapture. He's coming in the clouds and he's, we're not looking for a sign. We're listening for a voice. We're going to hear the shout of God and the, the trump of God and the, the voice of the archangel. And he's going to call us. Come up here quickly and, or whatever he says. And we're going to go be with the Lord. Forever after that, forever, so shall we ever be with the Lord. That's what the Bible tells us. That's not the second coming, but if you want to lump it all together, and sometimes the Bible does, it's okay. There's some that are general scriptures and there's some that are specific, okay? That would be like the first part of his second coming. It's the rapture and in this seven year period. But at the end of the tribulation period, he's coming back to this earth and all those that have been raptured and all the saints that had died way before us and Old Testament saints that were in Christ by faith, we're all going to be coming back with the Lord at the second coming. He's not coming for us at the second coming. We're coming with him to this earth. And the Bible says we're going to reign and rule with him for a thousand years. That's when he's going to spare Israel. That's when Israel is going to look upon him whom they pierced. And a nation's going to believe on, on him. And a nation's going to be born in a day. And they're going to mourn for him like somebody mourns for their only child that died. And they're going to say, oh my, it's all going to hit him like a ton of bricks. We rejected our Savior. We missed him. God, forgive us. He's going to come and literally save Israel physically from the Antichrist and these armies of the world that are about to annihilate them. And they're also going to believe in him when they see him come back. And we'll be with the Lord at that time. And they're going to, the physical Israel, Jewish people that are living at that time are going to be born again. Are they going to be saved? And then after that, y'all, after the second coming of the Lord, um, and again, I'm, I'm looking at big things, there's, there's going to be uh, the millennial reign of Christ. That's a thousand years, a literal thousand years. Don't let people tell you that's just a figurative speech. If it was figurative, God would tell us it's like a thousand years or figurative or whatever. He's going to reign and rule on this earth physically, Jesus. It won't be a president. It won't be another king, an earthly king, King Alexander the Great or a Roman emperor. It will be Jesus Christ and we will be with him. And he'll be reigning on this earth for a thousand years. At the end of that will be the great white throne judgment. The Bible says it's going to be a fearful thing because the great white throne judgment is a the judgment for lost men where lost men are going to come before the Lord. And it says that from whom, whose face, uh, I saw a great white throne and him that sat upon him, from whom the world, the heaven and the earth fled away and there was no place found for them. It's going to be fearful. And the books were open. The books and whoever, and everybody was judged out of these books and whosoever's name was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. That's the lost man's judgment. They had a chance in this life to give their life to Jesus and they didn't. So they die that way. And there's no redos or no second comings like we talked about Wednesday. It's appointed unto men once to die, but after this, the judgment. That's the judgment for unbelievers, the great white throne judgment. And then, again, I know I'm giving the big, the big events, but then there will come down like a bride adorned for her groom. Okay? This new Jerusalem that God has prepared. This heavenly city, Jerusalem. At the end of all that thousand years, and there'll be a new heaven and a new earth. And that's what I believe what Peter is talking about with the elements being melted with a fervent heat and, and all of that, right? And being changed and this, things are going to pass away. The heavens and earth will pass away. That means literally to pass from one state or form to another. And they're going to be refined. This whole world, y'all, is tainted by sin. We talk about it all the time. The reason a jaguar eats a whatever, a deer or a leopard eats a gazelle 
is because of sin. When Adam and Eve sinned in the garden, uh, it, it, it affected the whole world. Tornadoes and earthquake, earthquakes and volcanoes and, you know, fires and the whole bit. Diseases and pestilence and all that. And malaria from mosquitoes and all. All that is the result of man's sin. So even this creation is going to be changed. It's going to be refined. We're going to read a scripture about that in just a minute. But all of the things I've mentioned and more are ahead. And I want us to think about that. I want us to think that this is still ahead. This is God's future plan. And guess what? Everything He said is going to come to pass. And I'm not the expert on the end times. I've studied it, and I, and I learned a little, and then I forget some, and I have to study it again, and I learn a little more and forget some. And, uh, but it's all going to come to pass, and it's going to come to pass exactly like God said it's going to come to pass. It's not going to happen some other way. Nobody's going to slow it down. Nobody's going to alter it. Antichrist and all his people and all his armies and this whole world, if we lined up against God and said, we're going to stop you from fulfilling your plan, couldn't stop God from fulfilling the least of his plan. <coughs> Not the least of it. They didn't stop Jesus from going to the cross. He didn't die getting uh, beheaded. He didn't get die when they wanted to throw him off a cliff one time. They didn't, he didn't die getting stoned because at one time they picked up stones and wanted to stone him. He was going to go to that cross. And he went to the cross. And then he said, that I have power to lay down my life and I have power to take it up again. Guess what? Nobody kept him from taking it up again. He told him when I'm going to lay it down and I'm going to take it up again. On the third day, Jonah the prophet's a sign of that. It's like a, a picture of that. As he was three days and nights in the belly of the whale, so shall the Son of Man be three days and nights in the heart of the earth. If I lay it down, I will take it up again. Who, what if everybody wanted to stop? No, we're not going to let this happen. Didn't matter. The stone was rolled away. And I think not to let people, not to let Jesus out, but to let people in and see that the tomb was empty. The stone was rolled away and he's risen. And no, nothing's going to stop God's plan from happening, happening when He says it's going to happen, and as he, exactly as He has foretold in His Word it's going to happen. He's sovereign, and He's perfect, and He's going to do it in His, in his perfect time. The world is ignorant of this. And the world just con continues in an arrogance against this. But we as the children, the blood-bought church of God, we look for this. We're expecting it. We're expecting it just like the Word of God says. And it happens, it's going to happen in God's time. I just want to read this. Jesus said this in Acts 1 right before He ascended. Okay? And He said unto them, It's not for you to know the times or the seasons which the Father had put in His own power. It's His own power. It's His own season when He's going to do all these things. But we do know the order. And we know, do know that we're living in that period of time. Okay? It's not for anybody to say, the rapture is going to happen October you know, 28th at 7 p.m. Nobody knows that. But it's given to the Lord. And He's going to do it in His perfect time. It's enough for you and me with all we don't know and all the stuff we can't wrap our brains around. It's enough for us to be confident in the Lord who saved us. And to trust that in the promises of His Word that He's going to fulfill it. He's going to fulfill it. What about this? In this particular plague in Revelation, do you think that's atomic weapons? And talks about their eyeballs melting away and their, and their 
flesh melting away and some of these plagues and different things and judgments in Revelation. Do you think that's atomic weapons? Do you think that's an Apache helicopter? And I've heard stuff like that. It may be. I don't know. In one sense, it really doesn't matter to me. It matters that it's going to happen. It's going to happen just like God said. And, and what am I supposed to do in light of this? Okay, It's enough for me to know that the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night. The whole big thing. The rapture, the tribulation, the second coming. The day of the Lord will come. I want to define the day of the Lord. Have you read across that phrase in the Bible? The day of the Lord. It's not just one day, by the way. The day of the Lord right here is different than the day of the Lord mentioned, say, in, in uh, one of the Old Testament prophets like Jeremiah or Isaiah, where that day of the Lord might have been the, the Babylonians attacking and taking them captive. The day of the Lord is defined by John Walvert, uh, who's written a wonderful book on the prophecies. He says it's a time of special visitation uh, mentioned often in the Old and New Testament. Okay, it's time of special visitation. Another definition I heard of the day of the Lord. Anytime God supernaturally intervenes in the affairs of men, it could be in the affairs of a nation or men, where He steps in basically and is going to bring this judgment. Like Noah's flood, the flood in Noah's day. That would have been a day of the Lord, right? That would have been, a, and it's not just one day, but it's where God steps in, is foretold about, and then he brings it to pass and he's intervening. And, and then we find that in Old and New Testament. So this one is the one that Peter's talking about in Second Peter. But the day of the Lord, verse 10, will come as a thief in the night. So it's not just one day. So the day of the Lord here is speaking about everything that's set in motion by the rapture and all the things that are going to follow that. And y'all, by the way, after the new heaven, new earth, New Jerusalem that I talked about after the millennium is a time called eternity of eternities. It's just going to be inherently from the Bible. That's just the way things are at that time. That's how they're going to stay. And it's going to be wonderful. Okay? It's going to be wonderful. We'll have to study that sometime. But the Lord's going to set all this in motion. I want you to look in your Bibles at Romans chapter 8. We're going to go back to Second uh, Peter if you want to keep your spot marked there. Romans chapter 8. You know, sometimes when you read passages like the one we're about to read, it's just kind of, it's too too much. You don't really understand it, so you want to get on to something more easy to understand, but you really study it. And that's why the Bible says to study to show yourself approved. It doesn't just say read your Bibles. There are times we have to study. Okay, and I think we need a, li- a lifestyle of studying. It becomes not so scary. It becomes not so mysterious. The Bible interprets itself. The Bible explains itself. You know what I mean? And you take any one passage like the one we're reading it, reading it, and look at it in light of all of the Bible, and it's not so overwhelming. It's like, okay, I can see this. I understand that. And the Holy Spirit's teaching us. So let's read this, uh, Romans 8, 18 through 23. And the Apostle Paul says, For I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared to the glory which shall be revealed in us. So what is he saying? Even Paul is saying, there's more coming. There's something good coming. That's what this sermon's about today. The world's not looking for any intervention from God, but we are. And it's going to be wonderful, okay? Which shall be revealed in us. For the earnest expectation of the creature waited for the manifestation of the sons of God. 
For the creature was made subject to vanity, not willingly, but by reason of Him, that's the Lord, who has subjected the same in hope. Because the creature itself, that will be mankind and all of creation, itself also shall be delivered from the bondage of corruption. That's the corruption that sin has brought, okay? Into the glorious liberty of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groaneth and travaileth in pain together until now. And not only they, but ourselves also, which have the first fruits of the Spirit. He's talking about believers. Even we ourselves groan within ourselves, waiting. So what are they waiting for? What are we waiting for as believers? We're not waiting for this future great white throne judgment or, or things like this or fire to rain down and destroy us. We're waiting for the adoption to wit the redemption of our body. This creation is longing. This creation is longing for this redemption, okay? And even believers say that Paul said what we're going through now is there's sufferings in this life, amen? There's sufferings. There's suffering for lost people and there's suffering for saved people in this life. And some things we suffer just because we are saved and we're in the midst of a lost world. But that's not worthy to be compared to the glory which shall be revealed where? In us, says in verse 18. There's more coming. There's a redemption for these physical bodies. Who in here has ever had an injury or headache or something wrong with their body? You know what I'm saying? Uh, sh- sugar levels aren't right. Cholesterol's not right. Overweight, underweight, can't sleep at night. Hair's falling out, okay? Can't run as fast as he used to. Can't, <laughs> can't, uh, can't do a lot of things we used to. I'm st- my heel's still hurting from where I tore my Achilles. Uh, these bodies are going to be redeemed. They're going to be redeemed. The Bible says these vile bodies are going to be changed and fat at the rapture and be fashioned like unto His glorious body. There's a head. We sing that song, Oh, a head. There's joy and gladness, rest for my weary soul. That is a head for us. That's not a head for the world. As long as they persist in their own way and reject Christ, that's not what's ahead for them at all. I just want to read this scripture. I'm reading from Philippians 3 for time. I'm going to go ahead and read it. 20 and 21. For our conversation is in heaven. Now, our, our lifestyle is, is like heavenly because we're born of God. From whence also we look for the Savior. That's the rapture. We're looking for the Savior. I'm not looking for the tribulation. I'm not looking for what, how's Antichrist going to be revealed. I wonder if that's Him being revealed now over in Europe or whatever. We look for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall change our vile body that it may be fashioned like unto His glorious body according to the working whereby He is able to subdue, listen, all things unto Himself. The, everything's not... He's God still in control of everything, but He's letting the world sort of run its course in, uh, in this dispensation. Okay, He's got believers here. He's answering prayers and stepping in, but He's letting it run for a time. And then he's going to step in and it's going to be changed. And he's not going to continue. Those scoffers say, where's the sign of his coming? Since the Father, since the beginning of creation, all things continue as though they as they've always have. Not true. God's going to step in. He has changed it before in Noah's day. He's going to change it again. And when Jesus comes again, and we're to be looking for the Lord. Okay? So if you turn back to 2 Peter. Where we were in Second Peter three, and I want to read eleven through fourteen, and, and 
this is starting to bring to a, a head the point of this message today. Second Corinthians, I mean Second Peter three eleven. Seeing then that all these things shall be dissolved, what manner of persons ought you to be in all holy conversation and godliness, looking for and hasting unto the coming of the day of God? Where in the heavens he's going to describe it a little bit more. Being on fire shall be dissolved, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. Nevertheless, we, see, we're not part of that. We, according to His promise, look for new heavens and a new earth wherein dwelleth righteousness. Wherefore, beloved, seeing that you look for such things, be diligent that you may be found of Him in peace without spot and blameless. That last three or four verses is what this sermon's about today. I want to lay it out there. I want us to be excited about the coming of the Lord. But he says, seeing then that it's going to happen. It's basically what he's saying. Seeing that everything I've described to you is going to happen, and it's going to happen just like God says it's going to happen, okay? It's going to come to pass like the Bible says. How should a born-again man live today? How should a born-again woman live today? How should a born-again young person live today? What manner, it says in verse 11, what manner of persons ought you to be? Manner means what sort or what kind. You know when Jesus spoke and calmed the storms and the waves on the sea and they were safe to the other side and the men looked at Jesus and says, what manner of man is this that even the, the winds and the waves obey? That's the same word there. What manner of persons ought we to be in the light of His coming? Okay? In the light of His coming. And I want to mention this scripture. You don't have to turn it, but last week, this uh, I believe it was last week I preached on this from Isaiah. <clears throat> Isaiah said, for the Lord, He said, He spoke to me in a, like basically in a strong way, that thou shalt not walk in the way of this people. Speaking about sinful Israel around Him. And this is what the Lord's telling us, the church age, you and me today in 2017. You don't need to walk. We're not called to walk like this world walks. They're not anticipating anything from God. We are. Seeing then that all of this is going to happen, what manner of persons ought you to be? And he answers it. In all manner of uh, holy conversation and godliness. Holy conversation is our holy lifestyle. That's all conversation means. Our conduct, our behavior, our lifestyle. And it tells us right here that it ought to be holy. Oh, you're putting works on me. You're a Pharisee. You're a legalist. That's what the Bible says. Holy conversation has to do with our conduct, our behavior. Alright? I don't behave in a holy manner in order to be saved. I can behave in a holy manner now because He has saved me. And His Holy Spirit lives inside of me. Holiness is not some outdated thing Holiness is not something that uh, some old-time preacher invented to, to put a bunch of burdens on the Christian church to wear you out and take all the fun out of life. Holiness is of God. And it's a joy. And it's a pleasure to walk with the Lord. As He which has called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation or behavior. You can't be if you're lost. But you can be if you're saved. Not only can we, but we're called to be. And it says, especially in light of the coming of the Lord. Let your behavior be as that which is befitting saints. 
which is uh, becometh the saints, the Bible says. And so holy conversation uh, ought to be the norm. It ought to be the normal life or lifestyle for a believer. Right? I'm the first to raise my hand and say, well, I've sinned plenty of times. There's plenty of times I have not lived holy. But it doesn't mean I'm not the, the role model for that. I don't determine whether that's the calling or not. The calling is to live holy. And the Holy Spirit in us is working to do that. So personal holiness is, is uh, it can be perverted. It can be perverted by a teacher or a preacher where a bunch of things are put on us that God didn't put upon us. Understand that. But that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about biblical holiness. Holy Ghost in us, holiness. And it's a wonderful thing. And you and I are to spend our entire lives, the rest of our saved lives, looking for, it says in verse 12, look in your Bibles, looking for and hastening, hasting unto the coming of the Lord. That word looking for and hasting, you put them together, it means to urge on, to wait eagerly, to be ready, to be skillful, to be diligent. Is that my practice? I need to ask myself that. I know I'm saved. I know when the rapture comes, I'm going in it. I know when I die, I'm going to heaven. I have that peace. And I'm very thankful to have that peace in my heart. Right? And I pray you have that peace in your heart that you belong to Jesus if you've given your life to Christ. But this is more than that. This is, this is talking about how do I live? Where's my mindset? What is my heart fixed upon? Where's my attention? And I'm to be fixed upon the Lord. Ready, skillful, diligent, hastening, hasting His appearing. Through, uh, though all of this is going to happen, I'm still called to look for the Lord. Nevertheless, verse 13, we, according to His promise, we're not looking for what the world, we're not what the world's looking for. The world's not looking for Jesus to come back, I can promise you. Okay? But the, the fact that all this is coming, we, according to His promise, look for new heavens, new earth, wherein dwells righteousness. And y'all, what we, what we have coming to us is from a promise from God. So if God's not true and this isn't real, then the promise is not true. It can't come to pass. But if God is true and His Word is true, then the promises are true. And they're going to come to pass. And I'll just ask you this. When you asked Jesus to save you, did He save you? Okay, He kept that promise, right? Whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. If we confess with our mouth, believe in our heart, we shall be saved. He, he did that. Everything He has spoken has been fulfilled. Everything... He has spoken about the future is going to be fulfilled. And you can rest like a little baby and put your head on the pillow tonight and believe it and trust it. Because let God be true, but every man a liar. We are to be, it matters to God, and we're going to be closing with this, but it matters to God what, what we, as His children, okay? It matters where our mind is. It matters what our mindset is. It matters that we're focused on Him coming back. He doesn't want us to get out here in left field just so preoccupied, even as Christians, preoccupied in the world that when the rapture comes, we're surprised and it caught us way off guard and I really want to get my life. There's some things in my life that I really wish weren't in my life right now and I intended to get that right with God, but I got so caught up in the world and in the affairs of life that I'm, my mindset was not really looking for the Lord. There's a little story of this, the parents went out. They were leaving and uh, going out for the night, and they told their kids, you know, behave and don't do this, that, and the other. And three little boys 
and they left the house and they, they forgot something. They came back just a short time later, like 20 minutes later, way earlier than they were. The kids were expecting them. And the, the parents came back, you know, they had gotten into the suites. They found what their candy was and they had chocolate all over their faces and candy wrappers all over the place. And they looked and here their parents walked in the house. And uh, the point is that they loved their parents dearly, but at that very moment they didn't love their appearing, okay? Didn't love their appearing. And we're to look for the Lord's appearing with expectation, with hope. Paul says henceforth, at the end of his life, the last part that he penned and on this earth before he was beheaded for Jesus' sake, it says, henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, and not for me only, but for all them that love his appearing. We're to love his appearing. We're to be with outstretched hearts and bodies eagerly awaiting the Lord's return. And it says in verse 14, Wherefore, beloved, seeing that you look for such things, be diligent that you may be found in him in peace. That has to be through salvation, okay? But found in him abiding in Christ as well, I believe. Abiding in Christ when he comes. A couple of thoughts as I close. The Bible says, I'm going to read this. 1 John 2.28 if you're taking notes. And now little children abide in Him that when He shall appear, that's the rapture, He's speaking to Christians, we may have confidence and not be ashamed before Him at His coming. You know what that tells me? And we're closing with this thought. The Lord could come at a time and we are ashamed. Even though we're saved. Even though we've fully given our life to Jesus, we're born again. We belong to Jesus. Washed in His blood. And the Lord knows who are His, the Bible says. And He comes back and appears in the cloud and calls us. And then we, next moment, we're face to face with the Lord. You know, just us and Jesus. And I don't want to be, and the Bible tells me, this isn't made up by preachers to try to get you to toe the line. We don't, that when He shall appear, we may have confidence and not be ashamed before Him at His coming. He could come at a time where... Uh, where, like I said, we really weren't expecting him, and, and honestly, we didn't really want him to come. I was just about to get a big promotion. I was just about to go on a big vacation. I was just about to have grandchildren or children or whatever, and the Lord appears or whatever. We don't want to be ashamed of, of when the Lord comes. He's not ashamed, you know, to call us his own, but I don't want to live in such a way that I'm, I'm like wanting to hide. Because when he found me, I was in the midst of doing some sinful thing or just had been neglecting the Lord and his word. And, you know what I mean? Living just like a lost world around me when he comes. We don't have to live that way. This is what he's telling us. Nevertheless, if we're looking for the Lord with this great expectation, that looking is going to help us see, okay, while I'm looking, how am I to live? This is how I'm to live. Because he is coming soon. And when he comes soon, I want him to find me ready. Occupy until He comes. About my Father's business. The Bible says, when it talks about, Behold, what manner of the love of love the Father has bestowed upon us. He says that we should be called the sons of God. Beloved, now are we the sons of God. Now. And it does not yet appear what we shall be, but we know when He shall appear, we should be like Him. For we shall see Him as He is. And everyone that has this hope. Do you have that hope? If you're born again, that's your hope. And everyone that has this hope in Him purifies Himself even as He is pure. You don't save yourself. Okay, the Lord saves us. But I can live a holy conduct by the power of the Holy Spirit. When I sin, I can ask Him to forgive me. In the areas I continue to sin, I can ask Him to strengthen me and help me. Right? That's living that way for the Lord. 
And so uh, I'm going to close with this illustration in her real life story. There's a man named Sir Ernest, Ernest Shackleton, and he led many expeditions to the Antarctica. And he's from England. And once on one of these expeditions, he was going down there in one of his many trips, and he was forced to leave some of his men behind on an island called Elephant Island. It was unavoidable. It was just something happened, and he had to leave them behind and, and get out. And his plan the whole time was, as he was leaving them, don't worry, I'm coming back. The full intention of going back to bring them back to England as well. And he was unavoidably detained every time he would try. And then finally he tries to go, and it's time to go rescue these guys and get them off of Elephant Island. And, every, and to his horror, he found out that the, the path had been frozen over, iced over, and he could not get his ship through there. He tried three times. And finally, on the last time, he found one little channel where he could basically get the ship through. And he gets the ship through there in his last effort, a narrow little passage through the ice. And as this small ship reached Elephant Island, he says he was delighted to find the men were not only alive and healthy and well and safe, but they were all packed up and waiting and had all their stuff right there on the shoreline. He'd been gone for a long time. They were all prepared to get on board, and, and he gets them on the ship, and they're all excited, and on the journey home, he starts to ask, after the excitement sort of down, dies down, how was it you guys were ready to just jump on board so quick? I mean, when I first pulled up, you were all right there. You are all waiting, had all your stuff packed. And they said, well, every morning our leader, the leader that was among the men, he would, he would roll up his sleeping bag, and have it there every morning. He'd say, get ready, boys. The boss may come today. And the Lord's return is a lot more certain than Ernest Shackleton's return. He might have had well intentions and not be able to get back there. But the Lord has promised that he's coming. And somebody kept telling him, and given by example. He had his sleeping bag rolled up. Get ready, boys. The boss may come back for us today. And so when the boss came back, they're standing there literally right by the shoreline with everything ready and just jump on the ship. And that's how we ought to be with the Lord. We ought to be ready. We don't have to be ashamed that His coming. If we've sinned, the blood of Jesus will wash that sin if we confess it. If we're not praying or as a pattern, God can help us. He can make us ready. The Bible tells us how to, where to live. We ought to be excited about it. This was not a detailed sermon on the rapture or the second coming. This was a message on how we are to live in light of His coming. I want you to stand. and uh, We're going to go on and start. William can start playing. And I want to read a scripture. But y'all, this is our altar time. I apologize for the cramped space. This is what, where we are now. Soon, I pray we'll be in another place. But as long as we're here, I still want to have church. I still want to have an altar. I still know God would have us to. We can grow spiritually here. We don't have to wait till we get a building till we grow spiritually. So you find the best place you can. There's room back here. There's room in here. Um, and if you need to spread out, kneel by your chair, kneel by that sofa and pray. If God leads you to pray over somebody, please do it. Let's take some time as William begins to play. <clears throat> and I'm going to read this scripture. And the altar is open. And I'll, I'll open this in prayer in just a moment. From, from Psalm 102. 
It's open. You just begin to pray and call upon the Lord. David says, Of old thou hast laid the foundation of the earth, and the heavens are the work of thy hands. They shall perish, but thou shalt endure. Yea, all of them shall wax old like a garment. As a vesture thou shalt change them, and they shall be changed. But thou art the same, and thy years shall have no end. The children of thy servant shall continue, and their seed shall be blessed forevermore.